I dare say that everyone here would say yes to the statement of Scripture. With God, all things are possible. I don't think you'd be here if you did not believe in God. And the God to whom all things are possible. But maybe we stop right there and we separate man from God. And my purpose is to show you that we are not two, that we are one. That same creative word that created the universe and sustains it dwells in us. Therefore, with God, all things are possible. And therefore, with man, all things are possible. So he states it in one book, Matthew, with God, all things are possible. But in Mark, he states it, all things are possible to him, meaning man, who believes. Can man believe? So this creative word is in us. Well, what is this creative word? It's your own wonderful human imagination. That's Christ in man. Man is all imagination. So when you say, I am, that's he. Now, can you believe that you are now the man that you would like to be, though at the moment of your assumption, reason denies it, and your senses deny it? Can you really conceive a scene, a scene which, if true, would imply the fulfillment of your dream. What would it be like if it were true? How would I feel if I were now the man that I would like to be? How would I know that I could become it? Well, I first, as I assume that I am it, let me think of my friends. Those who really would rejoice with me were it true. Let me imagine that I am seeing them in my mind's eye. How do they see me? If what I am assuming is true, they should see me as I am seeing myself. And if they are friends, they should rejoice with me. So let me now assume that I am seeing, reflected on the face of a friend, that which, if I saw it, would imply he sees in me that which I have assumed that I am. Will that work? Try it. I tell you from my own personal experience it works. It doesn't work itself. I can tell you that your imagination is Christ. And maybe you'll believe me. But unless you actually take it to the point of working upon it and operating it, it means nothing. Well, if this night I really believe it, I would not allow the sun to go down in my sleep unless I feel myself right into the situation of the wish fulfilled. What would you feel like if now you were the man that you want to be? How would you see the world if things were as you desire them to be? Now, this is what I mean by living in the end. Robert Frost, just the year before he departed this fair, he wrote this story for Life magazine. And he said the founding fathers did not believe in the future. What a shock. They did not believe in the future. They believed it in. He said we are always imagining ahead of our evidence. And the most creative thing in man is to believe a thing in. They had no evidence to support their claim to democracy. They were under a king when they threw the king away and began to simply build a concept of the future. They did not believe that the mere passage of time would bring them that dream. They believed it in. And these men believed implicitly in the word of God. And they believed that if I know what I want when I pray, believe that I have received it and I will. Well, if that precept is true, literally true, to be accepted literally and fulfilled literally, 
well, then what am I doing not believing? I should actually know exactly what I would like to be, and discovering what I would like to be as against what I seem to be, dare to assume that I am it. And my assumptions or faults, if persisted in, will harden into fact. But if I really know what I want, what you want, what we want, and persuade myself that we have it, if my premise is sound, that imagining creates reality, I should, in the not distant future, hear you tell me that it's worked for you, and the other one tells me, and I in turn tell you, and go through life sharing this marvelous news with others. So I say, live as though it were true. Just as though it were true. If the word is truly the word that creates the system of it, in which we live, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. By him all things were made, and without him was not anything made that was made. No, not even the so-called unlovely things. For if all things were made, he has to be responsible for the unlovely things as well. So we are told in scripture, I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. I create the blessing, I create the curses. But now I must choose life. Choose the lovely things, but don't say there's another creator. For if there's another creator, then we are in conflict. So my own imagination can conjure unlovely things if I dwell upon them, or the lovely things. But they can't be two gods. They can't be two creators. And if I can find that creator and identify him with my own wonderful human imagination, then I can't pass the buck. I can't turn to anything and blame it for the things happening in my life. But I know that many of us are not discriminating, and when we see our own harvest, we don't recognize it. We can conceive that we, in some strange manner, permitted these things to be entertained by us. But we did. It could not have come to pass in any other way. So if I believe it and I accept it, well then I will live by it. And then when I know what I want for anyone, and this goes for everything in this world, whether now, this very moment, you desire happiness in marriage. You say, but there's no, not one person in my world that's eligible. I know no one. You don't have to know anyone. All you have to do is to decide within yourself what you want. Now, what would you do if it were true? Would you wear a ring on the one finger which would imply that someone places there one that you admire? Well, then, wear it there. Don't wear a physical ring. Put it on just as though he had placed it there. And sleep feeling that which you are feeling as real. Now catch the mood and try to give that mood all the sensory vividness of reality, all the tones of reality, and then sleep in it, just as though it were true. And then await the inevitable. The inevitable is you're going to resurrect it and objectify it on the screen of space, and then the world will call it real. And they may not believe you. It doesn't really matter. If you tell them it came to pass because you simply imagined it, now, they'll point to the series of events that led up to it, and they will give credit to the bridge of incident across which you walk towards the fulfillment of that state, and they'll point out some physical thing that was the cause. Now, the cause is invisible, or the cause is God, and God is invisible to mortal eye. Who knows what you're imagining? No one knows, but you can sit down and imagine 
and no one can stop you from doing it. But can you give reality to the imagined state? If you do, yes, a bridge of incident will appear in your world. And you'll walk across some series of events leading up to the fulfillment of the imaginal state. But don't give causation to any physical step that you took towards the fulfillment of it. You imagine yourself having a marvelous business. And then comes the day a building is for sale and you haven't a nickel towed. And a total, not a total stranger, but a man comes in and asks you quite in a friendly manner, are you going to buy it? And knowing you don't have a penny, you say to him, as you would a friend to a friend, with what? And then he says, well, I have money. It's only in the bank drawing nothing. You say, but I have no collateral. Well, he said, I watch you. You're an honest person. Your family, they're honest. I think they are. Would you like me to buy it for you? Get my lawyer to bid for it. If they knew that I'm bidding, that I have money, they'll bid me up. And so I get it at the very lowest price by getting a lawyer who represents more than one client, and they do not know who he represents, and he'll bid for it. Are you willing to take it regardless of the price? And you say, yes, I'll take it. But I have no collateral. All I need is your signature, that you will simply pay 6% on whatever the price is, and then reduce that principal over a period of 10 years. Agreed? Yes. But then sign this, and we'll see if we can buy it. That day, you owned the building. And you didn't have one nickel when you owned the building that day. You only had your signature on a piece of paper. At the end of 10 years, you repaid the man his principal. You reduced it every year, paying him 6% on the remaining principal, and reduced the entire thing at the end of 10 years. That man dies 20 years later and leaves you 150000 in cash, tax-free, and a couple of homes and many personal belongings. In the meanwhile, you continue in that business and it multiplies and multiplies. And that year was 1922, 1924. This is now 1968. That building, I'm speaking factually, that building in 1924 is now gone. He paid only $50,000 for it. It was repaid and repaid. A bank, three years ago, bought the property, because the building was rotted, bought the property for $840,000 in cash and no capital gain, from 50000 to 840000 In the meanwhile, the business has expanded into all the other islands, so that today you couldn't buy them out for $15 million, all in imagination. And this goes back to the imagination that preceded this man's offer to buy the building. For the young man, seeing this building and entertaining a thought that the present owners deceived his father and through deception got him out of a partnership, a junior partnership. And he was moved not to get even, but to prove that he really had something within him and could be a success in spite of their deception. And so, Every day he would see on that marquee, not their name, but his own family's name. And he would see it in his mind's eye because you could not take their name and transliterate it and make it spell this man's family's name. But he saw it, and in his mind's eye he saw that name, which if true would imply the family owned it. He did it every day, twice a day, for two years. 
And then came this sudden, out of the nowhere. And the whole thing was made possible, and today they're all over the islands. And they have no partners. They've never taken in one partner, never sold one bit of stock outside of a family ownership. All by imagination. Now, I know what I'm talking about because I'm a member of that family. I'm speaking of my own family. This is not hearsay. I know it. My second brother, Victor, was the one in whose imagination this whole thing began to bloom. And he still works all by imagination. He knows what he wants, and then after having decided in himself, that's what I want, and that's good for the business, he then in his mind's eye, he appropriates it. And then let things happen. As told us in Scripture, the vision has its own appointed hour. It ripens, it will flower. If it be long, then wait, for it is sure, and it will not be late. Read that in the book of Habakkuk. Here is the true translation of that passage in Habakkuk. So when you know what you want, remain faithful to that assumption. And the assumption, though at the moment, is denied by your senses and denied by reason. If you persist in it, it will harden into fact. Are we not told that God calls a thing that is not seen as though it were seen and then the unseen becomes seen? He calls everything from the unseen into the seen in this simple manner. For he is the resurrecting power. So if I assume that I am, I don't have to have evidence to support it. I assume that I am. I am what? Well, I name it. And having given it a name, given it form, given it definition, remaining in it, I resurrect it. And if it takes a thousand men to aid the birth of that state, a thousand men will play their parts. I don't have to go out and look for them. Any more than my brother had to go out and look for this man. He would not have known where to start looking for one the day of the sale. As far as he is concerned, he had done it in his mind's eye. And he allowed everything to happen. And he comes right in like a joke. He really thought it was a joke. And he said to this man, are you fooling me? He said, no. He said, well, then wait. Let me call my father. He said, lunch. He called him on the wire. He said, daddy. Come on up. Leave everything and come. And then he said, now you tell my father what you told me. My father's name is Joseph. And my father said, you really mean it? He said, yes, Joe. I mean it. I'll have him bid today. You put your signature here, and your son Victor put his signature. That's all I need. And that was a lifetime friendship. So when that man died, he didn't owe my brother Victor anything. He saw love the friendship and the feeling of well, decency that he had with my brother Victor, he gave him 150000 cash. And that was tax-free. And the homes, everything was tax-free. And that building, which he bought for $50,000, was sold three years ago to the Bank of Nova Scotia. They tore it down and built a lovely structure, but they paid our family $840,000 for that building. So here was a gain, and there was no ta capital tax gain. None. That whole thing was simply free. So I know what I'm talking about. All I need from you is the acceptance of it. Will you believe it? Will you believe that with God all things are possible? Will you believe that all things are possible to men? Well, you can prove it in the not distant future. But you are the operant power. It will not work itself. 
if you dare to assume this very night that you have a better job than you now hold, or that you have a larger income, you may be fired tomorrow. Don't be concerned. On reflection, you'll see it was necessary to move you towards the fulfillment of your assumption. You could be fired. And I wouldn't bat an eye if you told me tomorrow, well, I did what you told me. You know what happened? I was fired. I have seen that. It takes someone to fire you to get you into a better job. I have seen that time and again. I wouldn't go out and quit the job. You may be promoted in the job, or you may be invited by some other concern that is competitive to join them. I do not know how it happens. I only know if you remain faithful to the assumption it's going to happen and you're going to be promoted towards the fulfillment of the state that you have dared to assume that is yours. I could tell you unnumbered stories along this nature. So here I say, dwell in the end. The end is where we begin. For if I see my name on the marquee, that's the end. I don't wait for the incident to take place in my world to move from one to the other to the other, leading up to that, I dwell in the end. If I go to the very end, what would it be like were it true? A health case, not how it's going to become better, but you go to the end and you say to someone who isn't well, and in your mind's eye you say to them, you know, I've never seen you look better, and have them say to you, I've never felt better. Well, now that's confirmation of what you're seeing. You say, I've never seen you look better. And hear them say to you, well, I have never really felt better. So you can do this for good or ill. I advise you, do it for good. But the choice is yours. You can hurt and you can bless, but don't hurt. Use your imagination always lovingly on behalf of others. But to tell you that you couldn't do it to hurt is stupid because you can hurt. But it's entirely up to you. So you imagine what you want. Believe that you have it and see how it works in the world. Those who scoff at it or let them scoff. Five years from now when you're on the top, they may be working for you. And they've even forgotten that they sat in the same audience with you when you heard and believed and they also heard but they didn't believe. And so you moved on and they remained behind. And that's life. Tonight, you need not confine it to yourself. Take a friend, without the friend's consent, without the friend's knowledge, and lift him up. Do you know of a friend who is unemployed? Well, then see him gainfully employed. And don't tell him that you may brag tomorrow. Don't boast. Just see him gainfully employed. Here is a friend of mine in L.A., and this man was unmercifully bawled out by his superiors and told that he was no earthly good and they are considering letting him go, they're going to fire him. Well, the man had no support outside of the job and he had a family. He told my friend, well, my friend lives by this law. So he said to him, all right, go your way. Didn't tell you what he's going to do. He sat quietly at his desk and heard the man tell him that they praised him beyond measure for something that he had done. It wasn't 48 hours that the complete reversal of their attitude towards this man in their praise of something he did in the advertising world. But the blow had left its mark. And he said to my friend, yes, they've reversed it, but I don't feel easy on the job. 
because they could not have said the unlovely things that they said and forgotten them. So it will come back, and I'm going to quit. I have no money. I'm giving them two weeks' notice. I'm going to ask them to give me one week of the two that I may get myself together, maybe take off a few days, and just get my thoughts in order. Well, at the end of two weeks, he didn't have a job. My friend, when he told him what he was going to do, my friend knew he could not afford to quit and not work. So he saw him gainfully employed and earning 25% more than the present job. He took off the second week. When he came back at the end of the first week, he came into my friend's office and said, only yesterday I got the offer and I start Monday. I do not lose one day's salary and I start at 25% more than I received on the past job. What did it? My friend's imagination. A loving use of the imagination on behalf of a friend. Had he gone without that imaginal state, he would have walked into the place and the man would have said, we have nothing. Or we can't use you. Why are you quitting? He didn't ask anything. He simply wanted a man. So if you precede your visit by an imaginal act, they will see you as you see yourself. If you walk in knowing that you're no good, they're going to see you exactly that way. But if you're walking in the assumption that things are as you desire them to be, they're going to see you that way. And this is life. Now what greater claim can anyone make than to claim that he is God? When he claimed it, they said he is blaspheming. For here is a man, and the man dares to claim he is God. The tenth of John. And he said, is it not written in your law, I say ye are gods, sons of the Most High? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, do you say of the one that he anointed and sent into the world that he is blaspheming? Do you have any greater claim in the world than for a man to identify himself as God and walk as though he were? And not be ashamed to admit it? He doesn't go bragging about it, but he knows in his heart he is one with God. For if his imagination is God and he imagines, well then that's God. And if he imagines a state and it comes to pass, then he knows the creative power that is God. He doesn't have to brag about it and boast about it, but he doesn't have to hide it either. He doesn't have to bury it and be ashamed of it. He sleeps in a noble state because he's one with God. But let everyone take that attitude and the world will change. Not be beaten, but you can take the whole vast world if they feel themselves slaves. Give them the world, they'll want it again tomorrow. And if a man has self-respect, you can give him all the money in the world and it means nothing. That goes for the individual, it goes for a family, it goes for a race of people, it goes for a nation. This is our Late President Hoover said, the rise and fall of ideas will determine the rise and fall of men, the rise and fall of nations, the rise and fall of communities. So tell me the idea the community entertains about itself, and I'll tell you that community. The earliest gospel is Mark, and the first words you find on the lips of this power, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now the word repent, as we use it in the world, is not what scripture means. When they use it here, we mean to feel remorse, regret. That has nothing to do with the word repent. It's the Greek metanoia. 
a radical, but radical change of attitude, a radical change of mind. Can I see an objective, and then everything tells me that, well, I can't realize it. Well, do I have the power to realize the objective? I tell you, we have. We have the power. For what is the deeper meaning of power but effectiveness in achieving one's purpose in life? Also, I have a purpose. Do I have the power? I tell everyone, yes. You can imagine the end, can't you? Can you imagine what it would be like if it were true? Can you feel what it would be like if it were true? Well, then that's the power. Now, can you be persistent in it? Can you remain faithful to that end as though it were true? Now, I don't care what the objective is. You have the power to achieve it if you know this power is the power of Christ. For all things are possible to him. He's personified in Scripture. Let us go back and see how they first personify him. You'll read it in the 8th chapter of the book of Proverbs. The 22nd verse through to the end, the 36th verse. And these are the words. God possessed me in the beginning of his way, the very first of his acts of old, before he brought forth the universe, before he laid out the foundations of the earth, I was beside him like a little child. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, delighting in his inhabited world. Now, my sons, listen to me. <clears throat> he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who misses me injures himself. All who hate me love death. You read these words in the eighth of Proverbs. Here he is personalized as a little child. God's companion in the creation of the world. All who hate me love death. Now this world is the world of death. So you tell the story to the world, and the majority would rather have the building across the street or this building, something to them that is secure, than to know, <coughs> pardon me, of a power. Take the building away, destroy the building, but leave me the power to recreate it. Don't take from me the creative power, but take all the things I create. But the world would rather have the things created than the power to create. And so those who hate me, they love death. They're in love with the whole vast world that decays. For everything that is built today gradually fades. It comes into the world, it waxes, it wanes, and it vanishes. But leave me the power to bring anything into this world and take from me, if you will, anything that I bring into the world. But don't take from me the creative power that I may actually create anything in this world. Now, what does he mean by repentance? It means this. It tests the individual's ability to enter into and partake of the nature of the opposite. I see someone and they are, well, they're behind the eight ball financially. They have to pay rent. They have to buy clothes, feed themselves, and maybe they have obligations to society. Others to feed, others to clothe. There may be a father, a mother, and I meet them and they are not employed. Now it tests my ability to put them into the state where they are gainfully employed. 
I bring them before my mind's eye and I represent them to myself as gainfully employed. And to the degree that I am self-persuaded of the reality of what I'm seeing and hearing and doing, to that degree they become exactly what I am doing, all in my imagination. Well, if tomorrow or in the immediate present they actually conform outwardly to what I am doing inwardly, I have found the creative power. I try it again with another one. I try it with another one. And I keep on trying it. And it works. Well, then I tell it. And ask everyone who will listen to me and believe it to try it. See if you can exercise that same power in you. It's not a different power. There's only one Christ. So all of a sudden you find that this is what the world is talking about. But they put him on the outside. And made some little god of him. When he is housed in everyone. I'll give you this story. A friend of mine down south, he went to this barber shop. There were four barbers. He went to the boss barber first, and after about three visits, the barber couldn't take him to stay, and he took the fourth one, the last year. He rather liked the way this man cut his hair. He got talking to him, and he realized the man loved barbering. He loved it. That's all my friend needed. You really love it? He said, I just love it. I wouldn't do anything else but cut hair. I just love it. And this is what my friend did. He imagined that man, the head of the shop, didn't consult him, didn't consult the boss barber, didn't consult anyone. Just this one. He liked him. He imagined that he was the head of not this shop, but a shop. Six weeks later, the barber decided, the owner, to unload the shop. How he raised the money, my friend never told me, but he bought the shop and moved from the fourth man, the low man on the totem pole, to the boss barber. In the last year, this one so loved it, he came here to the city about two months ago. There was some meeting here, a contest among barbers. He brought two of his barbers with him. One was committed and couldn't come that day. He brought two. They took back, out of five prizes, they took back four. He won two, a first and a second, and two of his barbers won two seconds. He just entered another contest of the entire region, that is the seven western states, and he won it, plus a thousand dollars. The big plaque is now on his wall. All because of my friend's use of imagination. This man has a terrific control of this power. He's an advertising agent. About, I would say, the early part of this year, his boss said to him, this is our best account, and I don't want to lose it. But you know the industry today is on the skids. And we must do something to pull it up. While well, he sat down, he said, now, if imagining creates reality, my only problem would be to face these men who believe themselves so wise and persuade them to let me go all out with my campaign <clears throat> from the premise that is already an accomplished fact. I can't advertise that this thing is possible. I've got to say it has been tried and proven in my ads. He worked out the entire thing. When these 20 men, all multimillionaires, for this is one of the huge industries of the world, this is an international industry. When he worked the entire thing out and presented it to these 20 men on the board, they thought themselves above all this. They were ethically above all things. Their moral code would not allow it. 
But my frame persuaded then that this is how a law operates, that imagining creates reality. So if you want something created, leave it to me. I will take your desire. I'll make it something that is already a fact. You voice it. The first quarter of this year, that industry not only arrested the motion down, turned it around, and their profits, not their gross, their profits the first quarter of this year was $75 million more than the first quarter of last year. $75 million more. I'm speaking of a net profit. Now these wise men with their wonderful ethical codes, they allow it. They saw the money in the bank. They saw all these things, and their so-called ethical moral codes went through the window because they saw another principle which they did not know. His competitor, I saw the letter, his competitor in the advertising field wrote the boss, my friend's boss. He said, you know, I take my hat off to you. You use the principle that we have always used in our work, which was a darn lie. He never did it at all. He said, I know exactly what you did. He's trying to fish him out to find out what he's doing. And in this letter, he makes the claim that he actually knew and they've always used it. And no one can work for our concern unless he's aware of this principle and lives by it. We aren't concerned about his religious background. He could be a Catholic, Protestant, Jew, or an atheist. But he has to live by this principle. When I saw that letter, the man was fishing. Just fishing to get the one who really conceived it to come forward and tell him what he did. Well, here is the same one in the barbershop. He goes there every Saturday morning by appointment, and the boss barber waits for him, right on the dot. Every Saturday he is right there for this chap. He loves him, and he took him from the low man on the totem pole and pushed him right up. He realized the man likes cutting hair. That's what he likes. He just loves it. All right, then be the best. If you like it, be the very best in the trade. Tell me what you want. Maybe you want to be a wife. Oh, some uh, giving a home. What's wrong with that? My mother never went to work. She just had ten children and lived at home with her full complement of servants. My sister has never worked, so she lives at home with her servants. My wife worked until I could afford a keeper. Then when I could afford a keeper, then I said, no, you stop. So she stopped. That's, well, almost two years after we got married. Two years afterwards, I couldn't, I could afford a keeper. But now, from now on, you don't work. And so she hasn't gone back to work. So tell me what you want, and then let me persuade myself that what you really want, you have. To the degree that I am self-persuaded that you have it, you'll get it. If I can't persuade myself, well then, I have failed. But I have, haven't misspent the uh, energy, because I tried it lovingly. So any time you use your imagination lovingly on behalf of another, you use it wisely. Even if you didn't succeed in producing the results that you are seeking, you used it wisely. So the power of which I speak is your own wonderful human imagination. That's God. So when I tell you that man is all imagination, and God is man, and exists in us and we in him, the eternal body of man is the imagination, and that is God himself, the divine body Jesus, and we are his members. For everyone can imagine, therefore all are members of the one body. <clears throat> so this is that one spoken of in the eighth chapter of Proverbs. I was beside him like a little child. 
Find me and you find life. Miss me and you injure yourself. Hate me and you love death. So the one who finds him is born from above. And unless ye be born from above, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Repent and believe the story of the gospel. And to repent is simply to challenge you, to test you. Can you take a man from the lowest point in the bar barbershop and make him the boss? Can you represent him to yourself as one who really is in charge, who loves it, and you love him? Well, then try it. So he loved him, brought him into his mind's eye as one that really was important in his life, and the man suddenly rose, suddenly, to the highest place in his shop. And now in the entire western area, he has won all the prizes. And this one, in his advertising agency, he can write his own ticket today. The boss said to him, you just, what do you want? The boss gives him, well, I would say, three, four times a year, a huge, big, unsolicited bonus check. He wants to keep him. My friend has no desire to quit, but the boss is so eager to hold him. There's one bonus after the other. And my friend, all right, he'll take it. Why shouldn't he? So I ask everyone here to try it. Don't just listen to it and not try it. You are the operant power. It doesn't operate itself. And so when I know what I should do, well, then do it. Go to sleep tonight, all right. How am I sleeping? In what state of consciousness am I sleeping? As someone that is unwanted, well, then I'll rise tomorrow to find myself unwanted. Ignore the facts of life and assume that you are wanted. Ignore the facts of life and assume that you are affluent and see how things work in your world. It all come your way. You are creating out of a power that is infinite and you don't need any contacts in the world. You don't need to know the right people or anything else in the world. All you need to know is Christ and Christ is your own wonderful human imagination. What else do you need to know but Christ? So you try it tonight. Try it with anything in this world. The unmarried, if you desire to be married, what symbol in the world would imply that you are married? A little band in this western world, a little band around this finger. Not around any other finger. Around this finger. It doesn't have to be the biggest aspidastra in the world. Just a plain little gold ring. If you wore it there, it would imply you're married. Sleep tonight as though you wore one. Don't put your physical thumb on it. Put your imaginary thumb on it and feel it in your imagination. You can do it. Feel a ball. Can you feel it? Then feel a piece of silk. Feel this, one after the other. Can you discriminate between all these different sensations? If you can discriminate between this and a tennis ball and a baseball and a piece of silk, then you can't discriminate between nothings. They must exist, though unseen by your eyes, they still must exist. So if I can discriminate between these unseen objects, these objects, though unseen, must be real. Well, now take that and put it there. But feel when you wear it that you are proud of the one who put it there. You don't have to see what he looks like. When it's put there, you'll be proud of his name to bear it, and you'll be proud of him. Just put it there. You know why I know that? My wife did it. She did it. Actually, she did it. One day she was in the presence of a 
a so-called sensitive. And this one said to her, why did you take off your wedding ring? She said, I am not married. Oh, she said, don't fool me. You took off your wedding ring. She said, but I did, I'm not married. She said, I'll even tell you his name. And she started off with Neb, never, never. She didn't quite get it, but she was coming very, very close to it. She was actually sensing what my wife in consciousness was feeling. When I first met her, I wanted her the very first day I knew her. I wanted to marry her. But I was entangled. Was I entangled? But by this law, I disentangled myself. Without hurting anyone, I disengaged myself from all these complexities so that I could actually legitimately say, will you marry me? But in the meanwhile, she was wearing the ring. I hadn't yet put her there, but she allowed me to put her there and stepped as though I had put her there. So I tell you, unmarried ladies, if you desire to be married, maybe you don't. If you do, that's the way to do it. And you'll come out of the nowhere. You don't have to go and buy anyone or try to meet the right people. Usually when you try to meet the right one, he's always the wrong one. So don't go searching. Those who go searching for love only make manifest their own lovelessness. And the loveless never find love. Only the loving find love and they never have to seek for it. So you fall in love, you don't have to seek for it. You draw them. They come to you. So here, this is the power of which I speak. The power of the universe, the power that created and sustains the universe is resident in you as your own wonderful human imagination. That's God. Don't forget it. I know it's difficult when man has been trained to believe in an external God. And he goes to church and gets on his knees and he prays to an external God. And he goes home at night, maybe he does say his prayers and he gets down on his knees and he prays to an external God. All right, maybe that's a nice thing for someone to do. But I tell you, he isn't out there at all. You won't be criticized for it, but he's within you. Very personal, may I tell you. He is very, very personal. And within you. Man creates unwittingly just as well as he does wittingly. But in this world of ours, we should learn to create consciously. But I can't deny that the un so-called unconscious creation is just as effective. We walk the earth and we see a headline, we don't know the people involved, and we react. That reaction felt intensely was a creative act on our part. And we don't know the people at all. And so, if you do it wittingly or unwittingly, it's still creative. Therefore, become aware of what you're doing. Or I consider everyone become more and more aware, so that at all times you are selective. You and I will not go into a store and say, <clears throat> give me a tie. He selected. I said, don't you bring me three ties. Let me see some ties. Fifty ties, a hundred ties. And I pick up one. Maybe I pick up two. I don't go in and say, give me a suit. Let me see some suit lengths. And from maybe uh, a dozen or more, I select one. Texture, color, what I think I need in my wardrobe to augment the wardrobe. So I pick it out. Then he makes it for me. So I don't let him tell me what I should want. No, just effective. All day long people are reaping the most horrible thing in the world and it all is what they're planted unwittingly. They sit down in New York City, they buy the little paper, the news. 
from beginning to end, is the biggest paper in our country. It has a daily circulation of over two and a half million. I think the Sunday circulation is about five million. It's a little tabloid, and not one word in it is anything but negative. Who murdered whom? Who is raping whom? Who is living with whose wife? And all this is all in the, and they love it. And of course, their little lives are drab anyway, so it's sort of vicarious. And they fatten themselves with all this nonsense as they go to their job. One solid hour, they're reading it. Well, when things happen in their world and continue to happen of an unnatural, unnormal, I mean, uh, abnormal manner, they don't realize they're doing it. The whole thing is done by them. They're fattening on it. No discrimination at all. And there are people who go into a, uh, it's like going into the restaurant and saying, what does the chef want to get rid of today? Same thing. And he said, oh, we have too much of the stew. We had it for four days. Can't sell it. And that's what we want to unload. Call it by a different name today and unload it. Well, I don't go for that. Give me the menu. A friend of mine taught me this lesson once. We went into a restaurant and the waiter was uh, very, very careless. And he spilled a little bit of stew. And my friend called him over. He said, tell me, uh, is this charity? Well, the waiter was flabbergasted. He said, I'm asking a very simple question. Is this charity? And he said, what do you mean, sir? He said, do I pay for it? He said, well, certainly, sir. Then take it back and bring me a nice, clean plate and unspilled soup. The man took it back and brought him a nice, clean plate and unspilled soup. If it's charity, leave it here. I can't complain. But if I'm paying for it, you take it back. Well, that is a lesson we should all learn. Too many careless things go on and no one jacks them up.